The KXAN News Podcast is sponsored by Shelf Genie. Lawmakers released their first drafts of the new state budget, but despite record revenue, the plans leave a lot of money on the table. There is still a lot of discussion on the table, so not all the money was spent immediately because we recognize that it's not, it's a whole legislature process. From tax relief to education and pay raises, how the plans from lawmakers could set the stage for budget battles at the Capitol. Thursday was Confederate Heroes Day in Texas, but some lawmakers want to make sure it's the last time for that state holiday. There is nothing to celebrate about the Confederacy, only lessons to learn about how not to treat our neighbors. We look at what's fueling the renewed effort to abolish the holiday and why some people believe there's room for compromise. A directive from the governor leads UT to ban TikTok. We dig into the concerns behind the order and why the impact could go beyond blocking entertainment on the app. Produced from the Capitol in Austin and airing statewide, this is the award-winning State of Texas. Hello, and thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Hinkle. There is only one thing state lawmakers are required to accomplish in the regular session, pass a budget. Now we're getting a new look at what battles could be brewing as lawmakers take on that task. Capitol reporter Monica Madden looks at what we're learning from the first drafts released from the House and the Senate. Each chamber's budget proposal is more than a thousand pages, which would look probably something like this. So it's not something that lawmakers just wrote. They've been drafting this for months. It's preliminary. The proposed budget includes pay raises for state employees after nearly a quarter of them quit within the last year. Both the House and Senate are proposing $15 billion for school property tax cuts, $2.5 billion for higher education, more than $4 billion for border security, and a nearly 50% increase in funds to public safety and the criminal justice budget. This is truly a historical once-in-a-lifetime budgeting session. I think these things are decisions they're able to make that won't just impact the next two years, but literally can impact in future generations. The vice chair of the House Appropriations Committee is quick to point out a lot happens between the first budget proposals and the final version being approved. There is still a lot of discussion on the table, so not all the money was spent immediately. So now we're just saying, okay, what do we need to, what do we need to fund? in order to maintain a vibrant and healthy economy. The state's budget leaves more than $50 billion up for grabs. There's two possible reasons for that. One, Texas is dealing with one of its biggest budgets ever, largely due to inflation and increased sales tax revenue. The other reason is other lawmakers will likely have pet projects in need of funding, so it leaves some pad room. They have about $188 billion to play with, but the proposals only allocate about $130 billion. Monica Maddox. State of Texas. The budget drafts mirror some of the priorities Governor Greg Abbott laid out Tuesday when he took the oath of office. During his inaugural address at the state capitol, the governor talked about ways the budget surplus could help Texans and the state's economy for years to come. To ensure that our booming state can meet the needs of our future, we must work this session to bolster our infrastructure, including the roads that we drive on, the water that we use at home and in our fields, and the ports that we use to ship products around the entire globe. But the governor also made it clear that tax relief is one of his top priorities. But make no mistake, that surplus does not belong to government. 
It belongs to the taxpayers. And we will use that budget surplus to provide the largest property tax cut in the history of the state of Texas. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said cutting property taxes is part of what he called the people's agenda. And his inaugural address put a specific number on the plan for relief. The Texas Senate will raise your homestead exemption to $70,000, which will save you thousands of dollars over the lifetime of your home. Enough to make a difference. And the governor and the speaker and the members will come together and we'll find a way that's long-term property tax relief with billions of dollars from this surplus because you come first, it's your money. Patrick also called for cutting the state's business franchise tax by 25% this session. There's a lot to dig into and for insight, we're bringing in Bob Garrett, Austin Bureau Chief for the Dallas Morning News. Welcome. Thank you. So there is a budget bill that's lining up pretty well, but you reported on a few key differences. For example, in higher education, there's a split over a plan to freeze tuition at some state universities. We're talking about the differences between the House and the Senate. So what's going on there? Well, it may not be a total split. It's just as of now, uh, the House is put in language saying they want to do this. This is uh, six of the chancellors of the big systems proposed last month, Josh, that if uh, lawmakers would put in nearly a billion dollars for a variety of things they need to help at-risk kids succeed in college, help the veterans be able to afford college, uh, patch up some health insurance uh, shortfalls, for the employees of universities, then the universities would freeze tuition. And so the House seems to be saluting that and the Senate is silent on it. We heard the Lieutenant Governor say the Senate plan would raise the homestead exemption to $70,000, but the House plan didn't get that specific. Is there a divide over the amount of property tax relief we're going to see maybe? Well, both of them say in their budgets that they are reserving $15 billion for tax relief. By the way, Governor Abbott and, and the leaders of both the House and the Senate have been calling this historic tax relief. And I think people should be aware that in 2006, we did $14 billion worth and adjusted for inflation, that would be $20 billion. And of this 15 they're proposing this year, $3.1 billion of it is just to keep going with the 2019 tax cuts. So, take those claims of historic tax relief with a grain of salt. Uh, so far though, the Senate is, is saying they wanna do the higher homestead exemption. The House is just saying we, that may be something we do, but there's a lot of ways to cut property taxes. You know, they can reduce rates as they've done before. Well, for months we've been hearing about the record budget surplus that uh, the state might look like it's having, but it seems yeah. like lawmakers are leaving a lot of that money on the table, as you kind of alluded to. Why, why is that? Uh, and we should say the amounts are, these are the historic amounts, record-breaking amounts. Uh, you know, two years ago when we came into session, they were looking at an imbalance or carryover or surplus of $11 billion. It's triple that this time. And then there's a lot more because uh, we're expected to have strong revenue growth and we have all this unspent federal COVID money and we have our rainy day fund going crazy because of oil and gas revenues going up. Um, the reasons are really that we have these spending caps 
passed by the voters nearly 45 years ago. And we have, uh, you know, prudence would say you don't spend it all because it's flush times. We have our politics, Josh, where in the Republican Party, there are uh, the base is that really against adding any spending. And, and there's fear, you know, uh, the Republican lawmakers and leaders fear the base. And so all of the above are reasons why we'll leave a lot of money on the table. And you talked about last session, you've covered a lot of sessions. So how does this compare to previous budget proposals? What stands out to you really? Well, it, it is just an amazing amount of money. And I don't know because they are not willing to just be go to the voters and say, we're going to spend some of this. And to do that, we have to bust that spending cap from 1978. And we're going to do it with a simple majority vote of each chamber. They did that in 2007. Things have changed. They're unwilling to do that. So they're going to do all this complicated, go to the voters in the fall and say, will you approve this X, Y, Z? And I don't know. That's going to be a messy process. That's what we're looking at. A they have a lot of money, it should be easier, but they're gonna make it really hard. Beyond that, what else should voters, or should people be looking toward in this session? Well, I mean, really keep your eye on what they do for the basics of state government is funding public schools and uh, keeping our hospitals from closing with healthcare, our colleges and universities, and our roads. Uh, those are the four big things state government does. And, and instead of looking at all the talk about tax cuts or culture wars, those, are they making progress on those fronts is the real serious work ahead of the legislature. All right, a lot can happen in the coming months, right? You got it. <laughs> Bob Garrett, Dallas Morning News. Thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. A state holiday brings backlash at the state capitol. Racism is still alive in Texas today, and this holiday proves it. We look at the renewed push to end Confederate Heroes Day in Texas and why some see the need for compromise on the controversial holiday. A new approach to address the backlog of Texans waiting in jail for mental health care. What one county is doing differently to treat people behind bars. An order from the governor leads to a ban on TikTok at the University of Texas. Why it's happening and how similar orders are affecting other parts of the country. On Thursday, three days after Martin Luther King Jr. Day, Texas observed Confederate Heroes Day. It's a state holiday that dates back to 1931, originally honoring Robert E. Lee's birthday. In 1973, lawmakers changed the holiday to honor others who fought for the Confederacy. Now Democrats in the Texas House say this should be the last year the state honors this day. Capitol reporter Ryan Chandler looks closer at the effort to abolish the holiday. Racism is still alive in Texas today, and this holiday proves it. House Democrats say a celebration of Texas's painful past has no place in the present. It's a constant reminder of the supremacy in which they're trying to establish. Houston Democrat Jarvis Johnson recalls his enslaved ancestors in filing legislation to abolish Confederate Heroes Day, especially on a day so close to a celebration of equality. In the next 20 years, if we don't get rid of this holiday, Confederate Heroes Day will fall on Martin Luther King Day four times. How's that make you feel? That difficult dichotomy is not just on the holiday calendar, but on the Capitol grounds. One of the first monuments that these visitors see when they walk towards the Capitol is also one of the biggest, honoring Confederate soldiers and saying that they died fighting for states' rights and against Northern coercion. Just steps away on the same lawn, a celebration of emancipation. 
two monuments displaying not just two sets of facts, but two sets of values. Some Texans support a compromise. Make it Civil War Heroes Day. So we try to boil this down to complete 100% black, 100% white, no, no middle ground, no nuance. But these lawmakers argue it is an issue of black and white. So there's no room for compromise. There is nothing to celebrate about the Confederacy, only lessons to learn about how not to treat our neighbors. Ryan Chandler, State of Texas. Bills to abolish the holiday have failed in the last two sessions, stalling in the House State Affairs Committee. Supporters believe if the bill reaches the House floor this time, it will pass. Democrats have also tried to pass legislation to remove Confederate monuments at the state capitol. They haven't succeeded. A bill filed last session failed to get out of committee. Meanwhile, Republican lawmakers have tried to pass legislation to prevent the removal of Confederate monuments on state property. One bill passed in the Senate in 2019. It would have required a two-thirds vote in both chambers of the legislature before removing monuments that have been on the state property for more than 25 years. It won Senate approval but failed to get a vote in the House. Thousands of mentally incompetent people are sitting in jail for months, even years, in need of treatment. Now, a workaround. It's the right thing for the person uh, in our jail, but it's also the right thing for everybody associated with this issue that caused them to be in the jail. How a new approach has some jails also working as mental health hospitals. An order from the governor leads UT to ban TikTok, but does the impact go beyond blocking fun videos? We look at the effect on campus and beyond. This KXAN News Podcast is brought to you by Shelf Genie. I'm Rosie Newberry from KXAN Studio 512. Considering replacing your kitchen cabinets? Struggling to find or reach things? Go to shelfgenie.com slash Austin. Shelf Genie designs custom pull-out shelves for your existing cabinets, adding convenience and value to the most used room in your home. Shelf Genie custom pull-out shelves, everything in reach. Following an order from Governor Abbott's office, the University of Texas officially banned TikTok on university-issued devices and networks. This follows similar bans taken by the federal government as, and as well as other states. UT students can still access TikTok if they want. It just can't be on a university-issued smartphone or computer or on a university-owned network, including UT Wi-Fi. We talked to some students to see what they think about the policy. Um, well, I kind of feel bad for the students who live on campus because it's like a really big form of social media and it's going to be really like a lot harder for them to go on it now. Obviously, you can use it off data, but using your data is a lot of money. And as for a college student, that's not kind of affordable. The policy comes amid concern over the close ties between the company and the Chinese government. It's raised questions about who has access to TikTok user data. Capitol reporter Monica Madden joins us now. Most people use TikTok to watch funny videos or see dance moves. Right. Basically entertainment. Is this ban at UT having any effect beyond just being an inconvenience? Well, it's definitely inconvenient if you're one of those people who's using it on Wi-Fi. I actually went over to UT campus to try it out, logged in onto the guest Wi-Fi, and then it, once I opened the TikTok app, nothing would load. Didn't get a message or anything saying that it was blocked. But, you know, I think a lot of students there might have 
or maybe not so much students, but for UT, they were using this social media device as a means of recruiting and making sure that they're reaching other people who might not be aware about UT and their programs. Uh, sports teams definitely use it and for community engagement and whatnot. So I think in that regard, it might you know limit some of their outreach to recruit for recruiting other students. But as far as uh, people using it on campus, they just will have to turn off the Wi-Fi. So if you don't have unlimited data, then might, that might be a problem, Josh. <laughs> well, it seems like every social media app gathers data from users. Is TikTok that much different? You know, I, I think in terms of the type of data that TikTok collects on your personal data is not much different than what we see from Facebook, you know, Meta with Instagram and other social media companies. Obviously, Google and Apple harbor a lot of personal data on users. I think the difference here and why we saw this order from Governor Abbott is because TikTok is a Chinese-owned company and a lot of government leaders have concern that, you know, because it's not owned by an American company, perhaps government officials there could get access to personal data on Americans and use that against us since it's foreign adversary and I think specifically this order you know it targets state agencies and anyone who is using government devices I think the main concern there is that any kind of private information that is you know important to the state important to the United States and our uh, national affairs and all that stuff could end up in the wrong hands so that's really the key difference between why they're really cracking on TikTok rather than some of these other social media companies you know as you mentioned this action comes after a December directive from Governor Abbott but Texas isn't the uh, only state that this is happening in uh, there are other places that this is cracking down when it comes to TikTok. yeah absolutely more than half of the uh, states in the United States have either fully banned, partially banned, or are looking to ban TikTok within their state agencies on government devices. And of course, you know, we saw this happen uh, during the Trump administration. He had tried to ban TikTok completely from the United States, was unsuccessful in that. But I do think those conversations are ongoing, especially within Congress of, you know, how do we tackle this app and uh, through the lens of their concerns about national security. How is TikTok responding? Well, of course, TikTok is not happy about their app being limited in the United States. They sent in a statement to us, we're disappointed that so many states are jumping on the political bandwagon to enact policies that will do nothing to advance cybersecurity in their states. So they went on just to say, kind of to my earlier point of they don't think that the University of Texas will be able to recruit and do other community videos and whatnot. So um, that's how the app is responding for now. Well, if you have seen anything on TikTok lately, you might have seen, uh, you can find politics reports from Monica <laughs> on TikTok right now. Ironically, I made a TikTok about TikTok <laughs> being banned on UT. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Monica. Thousands of Texans are waiting in jail, found incompetent to stand trial, but not able to get court-ordered mental health treatment. I think what we're seeing are communities that are desperate, looking for workarounds to try to reduce the number of people who are just waiting in jail. Now, a new approach to the problem, how one county jail is working to treat people behind bars. The wait list to enter mental hospitals in Texas remains near a historic high with thousands of mentally incompetent people sitting in jail for months or years in need of treatment. The system is plagued by understaffing. It has lost roughly a third of its bed capacity. Members of a Health and Human Services Commission advisory committee met Wednesday. They released an update on the state hospital wait list. This chart shows the problem. 
The red line shows the number of available beds, and you can see it's falling. The black line, that's the number of people found incompetent to stand trial in Texas. It's still at a near record, over 2,500 since late last fall. They've been ordered to the state hospital for treatment, but that means waiting months or even years in local jails for a state bed to open up. One proposed solution is for some jails to also act as a mental health hospital. Williamson County is about to test that idea. Our Mercedes Hernandez gives us a closer look. This is just yet one more thing that the state continues to push down to locals. Right now, mentally ill inmates are sitting in Williamson County Jail, waiting to go to a state hospital. But the wait to get in is years long. That's why this week, Williamson County leaders talked about a workaround to treat the people behind bars. These folks are sitting in our jail for up to two, three years. It's the right thing for the person. Uh, in our jail, but it's also the right thing for everybody associated with this issue that caused them to be in the jail. Right now, Sheriff Mike Gleason says the jail has already formed a pod for inmates waiting for mental health help. The longer those people wait and wait in my jail, waiting on a forensic bed or to get to another facility in the state, they start to decompensate more and more and more to the point where sometimes it's very, very difficult to get them back to that point of compensation. The program could debut as soon as this spring. It would keep the current pod system, but add a forensic psychologist and other staff to the jail. Consultant Linda Frost says state and local governments are both in tough spots when it comes to this issue. But jails are far from ideal environments from competency restoration. I, I think what we're seeing are communities that are desperate, looking for workarounds to try to reduce the number of people who are just waiting in jail. In Williamson County, Mercedes Hernandez, State of Texas. The county is waiting for some state funding to go through in order to kick off this new program. They hope that happens in the coming weeks. Online now, you can look back at our investigative team's extensive reporting on the problem with the state's mental hospital backlog. Just scan the QR code on your screen. It will take you to this story and the Texas politics section of our website. Thank you again for joining us for State of Texas. I'm Josh Hinkle. We'll be back next week to bring you an in-depth look at Texas politics.